Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of The Ox. It is me, Mario. It is me, your host, Zach, and I'm heading to Ireland tonight. I'm heading to Dublin, flying from JFK to Dublin on a red eye, and I will be there for eight days. And I'm hiking for five of those days through the Wicklow Mountains in Ireland. And I'm excited to get away from work, be alone in my own thoughts, walking through the wilderness, hopefully figure out some things about what my deepest desires are, where I've been an asshole to people, where I shouldn't have... Hopefully I get in touch with the things that really matter in life, which tends to happen every time I go on one of these trips, whether it's solo or or with people where I'm surrounded by nature, I'm unplugged for a week or so, which truly is not long enough. And I would like to detach longer in the future. But every time I take one of these trips, I always come back with a sense that I'm more plugged into human connection and less plugged into the mainstream the the mainstream ecosphere of of business desires of making money of being seen as an an important person i i feel whenever i'm more plugged whenever whenever i'm in a situation where I'm hiking, walking, there's there's nothing surrounding me. I'm not plugged into my cell phone. I'm not plugged into my laptop. I'm not answering emails. Even recording podcasts, as much as I love recording podcasts, it is work and I enjoy the fucking shit out of it. But it is still something that requires me to think about providing value. And when I get away from all that, when I am just with myself, by myself, I can't do anything. I I can't distract myself by being productive, which is often what I'll do when I don't want to think about something. I will dive deep into work because I think that that is what is going to save me. That it's not truly a distraction if I'm being, if I'm getting something done. It's not truly avoiding the darkness in my head it's not truly avoiding the problems this the stigma the trauma whatever i'm you know trying to work through at the time it, it something feels good feels right about being productive and when you take that away when you take away the ability to work you're forced to reckon with who you are so that is a very long-winded way of saying I'm excited for Ireland and and I'm excited to reveal a bit more of who I am, the good and the bad. So the first thing I want to get into today is the Emmys reached a record low audience of 5.9 million people. The Emmys reached a record low audience of 5.9 million people. I was not one of those 5.9 million people who watched the Emmys. But I am aware of the declining audience that is tuning in to award shows, the Emmys, Oscars, Grammys. You know, when I was 12, 13 years old, back when you had to tune in once a week to TV shows. I remember tuning in every, was it Monday night at 8 p.m. or or, uh, 8 Eastern time? For One Tree Hill on the CW11, I believe it was every Monday night, and you'd have to wait for the next episode. That was the era of people coming together and watching something on TV at the same time. You know, like the the late 90s, early 2000s, when I was still 10, 11, 12 years old, sit on the couch. My family would watch something. My dad would watch his shows after me, or if my dad's shows were going on at the same time, I'd have to wait for my dad's shows to be over. But those times are long gone. No one is coming together to watch programming at the same time anymore, especially not something like the Emmys, which 
the last time I watched an award show, it was entirely unbearable. There's nothing entertaining about it. It's people walking up and reading index cards. That's what it is. That's that's what people... People don't want to see people just get accolades. They, they You want to... As someone who's watching millionaires receive accolades, you want to see them entertain, make fun of themselves, not take it too seriously. There's nothing more cringeworthy than hearing someone with millions of dollars accept a golden statue for work they've done and then get super serious and act like it's the most important job in the world because it's not. Let's face it. I don't have the most important job in the world by far. Actors don't have the most important job in the world. Writers, this is all entertainment. And so to vacuum out the entertainment to vacuum out the essence from the reason why the people are on stage to me makes no sense it's like well you know we'll we'll make a tv show you know ted lasso westworld succession entourage and then it'll be super entertaining a great show you tune in you binge it and then the the actual award show itself for recognizing these people who do great work i'm not shitting on actors i'm just shitting on the way that this whole system is handled the award show process i feel like it just needs to be thrown out and you need to fucking shake the producers of the show and be like hey let's make it light let's make it fun let's let's make fun of ourselves we're millionaires accepting golden statues let's not make this about god or how we're how we need to you know save the world or or talk about like people don't want to be people don't want to tune in to watch the the lead of an hbo show where you know they're in a family of and, and i'm just saying random things right now this is no show in particular um, but like people don't want to tune into the lead show, uh, tune into the Grammys, uh, Emmys, excuse me. I'm getting, I'm getting all of the unexciting shows mixed up in my head. People don't want to tune into a show on the Emmys that is winning an award, uh, and watch that show and be like, oh, this is a good show. You know, this guy's playing a drug addict, you know, his life's falling apart. It's dark. It's funny. It's humorous. They don't want to see that character on an Emmy award winning show and then see that guy on stage talking about how you shouldn't eat chicken meat and fly in planes because if you do, you're killing the planet. Like it just doesn't add up. I, d I don't know what it is about these platforms where when you win an award for making up a story, which is what shows are. You you are good at making up things and acting and saying lines and writing and directing. What is it about the entertainment industry that feels like they have to lecture other people who aren't in the entertainment industry about saving the world, about being a better person, about... And I'm all for doing things that are good for the planet, you know. I'm basically a saint because I signed up for ButcherBox. I no longer eat factory farmed meat when I cook it myself. I deserve a spot in sainthood because I eat meat sent to me from a farm in Australia. Give me the award. God. Paying an extra $30 a month for grass-fed beef. Where's my award? It's really good, by the way. Um... But yeah, it's just like when, when people are serious about it and they go up on stage and they say, thank you for this award. Also, we're destroying the planet. We're I just tune out. I'm just like, what is this? Like, Why is this not an extension of the entertainment that you became famous for, that people are paying you a lot of money for? Why? Why are we just completely detaching from that to give awards? It's like this sick dystopian vibe to it. But let's get into the meat of the article, the, the grass-fed meat of the article. So the Emmy Awards hit a new low in viewership on Monday night. 
with its estimated audience of 5.9 million people, even smaller than the COVID-19 disrupted ceremony two years ago. The Nielsen Company said that the ceremony honoring the television's best work where Ted Lasso was named Best Comedy and Succession Best Drama was down from the 7.4 million people who watched it in 2021. Usually shown on a Sunday night, the Emmys were shifted to Monday to make way for NBC's first Sunday night football game the night before. It couldn't escape football, however, since it competed against a tight Monday night football game. The Emmys were hosted by Keenan Thompson of Saturday Night Live. The previous low point for the Emmys with 6.1 million people came with a drastically downsized show because of the pandemic in 2020. <laughs> to be honest, I don't think football had much of an impact whatsoever. People love football, but people also love to be entertained. So if there was an equally compelling show being shown at the same time as Monday Night Football, I'm sure you could have gotten 10, 15, 20 people what is the show that Ricky Gervais hosted for five years? And it was unbelievable. It was comedic, ruthless fireworks, just unrelenting jokes at the expense of Hollywood celebrities by Ricky Gervais. It was an amazing thing to watch. I forget if it was the the Emmys or Oscars or whatever. One of the award shows, someone will say, um, I'll, I'll look it up after, but when Ricky Gervais is on that stage and he's saying things that are funny, that he's making fun of himself, he's making fun of actors and actresses. It's so fucking funny. And it's, it's the comedy world. It's the true comedy world colliding with Hollywood in those moments and that is the type of entertainment that people want they they want to see they want to see the people at the top being willing to be silly to make fun of themselves it's an award show let's not take this too seriously the the work is done in in making the show like the time to take it seriously is on set you know, you're trying to hit your lines, you prepare the night before, you memorize, you know, you want it to go as good as possible, you you make sure you're in a good headspace. The, the work is the show. You shouldn't be in a serious tone. Or I don't want to say you shouldn't. You can be whatever tone you want to be. But it, to me, it doesn't seem like an enjoyable tone to have for an award show to show up there very serious and I'm going to make a difference and an impact. It's like, no, you're getting an award for saying lines and you made shit out of nothing that people like, that people enjoy. You, you created a, 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 you know, a cinematic show because that's what shows are now. They're, they're, they're very movie like there's, there's entangled plots and storylines that normally were, were reserved for movies. And now people don't want to do movies anymore because they can't because everything is an extension of the Avengers universe. So now the, the, the bucks are being put into shows like Succession and Barry and Game of Thrones. That is where it's at. And to go back to Ricky Gervais, people... People want to see that made fun of. They're not they're not going they're not tuning into the award show to be told what to do or for the, the the seriousness of the tone that is required to um you know on set or show up for work or or the the discipline of of everything that goes into creating a show from start to finish that the scratch from scratch that must be unbelievable and I have a lot of respect for the people who are involved in that process and who day in and day out work on making something from scratch that is in front of our eyes and we just kind of sit down on the TV, on, on the couch and it appears on TV and we pay 10 bucks a month for it and we don't really think about too much how it's made, but it, it takes a, a shit ton of work from hundreds of people just to make one season of a show that you enjoy. And then the award show when Ricky Gervais is on stage, he lets that all go. He's just like, the work is done. Let's just fucking say what we don't get to say 
when we're saying lines written by other people. Let's just make fun of ourselves. Let's just have, you know, some just ruthless jokes at our expense. You know, we're all rich here. We're all celebrities. We live in Hollywood. We have houses in the hills. Let's just have some fun. And that is the vibe that got record number record numbers of people to tune in to Ricky Gervais because he's a truly funny, just hilarious comedian, not only on the the stand-up stage, but when he's hosting. He he's so good at it. He's so good at saying harsh things, but almost with like a light air of disconnect. Like he's saying just unbelievable things about people in Hollywood being friends with Epstein, which is true, and, and about Harvey Weinstein and Ronan Farrow. Uh, it talks about Leonardo DiCaprio dating people who are, you know, 22 years old. There's one joke that I love where he says, Leonardo DiCaprio, or, or uh, Rick Gervais says, once upon a time in Hollywood was so long that by the end of the premiere, premiere Leo's date was too old for him. And he makes another joke about, uh, you know, Jeffrey Epstein. I forget exactly what that joke is. But people in the crowd, their faces are just... There There are two moments that I remember well from Ricky Gervais telling jokes while hosting the award show. One is Adam Driver cracking up. I believe it was at the Leonardo DiCaprio joke. He's he's laughing. You could see Adam Driver is willing to laugh at these jokes and they're funny and I'm I'm laughing too. And then the camera pans to Tom Hanks and he's just blank slate, like looking at Ricky Gervais, like, how could you be saying this? You're you're what type of human being are you? How are these words even coming out of your mouth in sequence? And those are the two edges of the room. And Adam Driver represents more of the person at home where you're like, this is fucking hilarious. And Tom Hanks is more of like, I'm the celebrity. I don't know if I can laugh at this. My job depends on me having the right views. And Ricky Gervais is coming in and saying all this, all these things. And it's, should I, can I laugh? Can I not? It's this very awkward tension that Ricky Gervais is so good at cutting through with his hilarity. And I said earlier, it's like the comedy world meeting Hollywood because there is really no real comedy going on in Hollywood right now. The best comedy in the fucking world is podcasts. The best comedy in the world right now, in my opinion, is stand-up specials, the good stand-up specials. I'm not talking about just stand-up specials in general because it used to be an honorable thing to be given a special. Now there's, you know, 24,000 specials on Netflix and the brand has become diluted, which is why Netflix, part of the reason why Netflix is not doing as well, but like really good specials that are out there on YouTube um, and Netflix, you know, Out to Lunch, Mark Norman's on YouTube. He also has specials on Netflix. Tim Dillon's on Netflix, uh, which I never thought would happen. Um, there, there, There's a lot of really good comedy going on right now in the podcast YouTube atmosphere and it's starting to come back on Netflix and other streaming services because they're seeing that you can't just give everyone a special because people will stop watching specials. And that is the real world of comedy right now. It's it's you know Giannis Papas, it's Tim Dillon, it's it's Whitney Cummings, um, you know, Rosebud ba- Baker. Uh there's there's a lot that you can say in a podcast that you can't write into a show in Hollywood right now. You can't be a true comedian, which is why it was so much of a shock when Ricky Gervais collided with Hollywood when he was hosting the show. And it's like Hollywood got slapped in the face with what comedy used to be because everything has become so much about virtue signaling and you can't joke about this person, you can't joke about that person, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And I don't want to sound like, you know, I'm not this over-the-top free speech advocate where I'm like, everyone can say everything all the time and nothing you can say is ever wrong. I don't believe in that. I, I do believe that certain 
things and ideas that are actually dangerous. I don't mean that make people uncomfortable, but things that are actually dangerous and having a harmful effect on society should be censored. I don't know how exactly we're going to do that, but it is a great time for comedy and the award show sphere is not going in the direction that people want, which is why podcasts have done so well, because you can make it yourself. You can record in a room, in an apartment like I'm doing right now. Um, And this isn't a comedy podcast. This is more just free thought, free flow, giving opinions on things. You can make whatever type of podcast you want and people will listen. And there's so many options out there now where the Emmys is just not tapping into what people want. It's this old hierarchical traditional system where there's a formula to a show you come out you read the cards you, you say what you're supposed to say you make the jokes that you're allowed to joke about you give the award the person makes some you know semi uh heartfelt speech about whatever issue they are caring about that month and then the show's over And they don't listen to the people on Twitter. They don't listen to the comments where people are saying, like, this is nauseating. This is terrible. This this award, people don't give a shit about awards anymore. I don't remember the last time that I chose to watch a movie or chose to watch a show based on it winning an Oscar or winning an Emmy, winning a Grammy. It, It used to have meaning, it used to be. When you walked into Blockbuster and you saw something on the label that said Oscar nominated in 2013, whatever it was, you'd look at that movie and it, it would stand out and you say, oh, like that's, you know, that must be a good movie. Now it's it's become so diluted and so disconnected from the desires of cultural entertainment that I don't care. I couldn't tell you who won Best Picture the last eight years. Like, I don't know if I could name a single Best Picture or Best TV show or it's just all word of mouth. It's it's also marketing how the show looks when you're surfing through the streaming apps. But if these shows want to come back, they have to tap into what they were doing when they made decisions like having Ricky Gervais Host, I believe it was the Golden Globes. It just it just popped back into my head. Gold, the Golden Globes hosting the Rick, uh, Ricky Gervais hosting the Golden Globes. It doesn't have to be exactly that, but you have to make decisions that are in line with yeah, people want to laugh, they want to have a good time, they want to keep it light, they want to be entertained. The show can't just be let's focus on the accolades. The accolades are almost the aftermath. The accolades are secondary. You want people to come out and do sketches, skits, jokes, you know, have live performances, like go back to the days where it was truly an event and you weren't tiptoeing around cultural norms to get through an award show without, you know, quote unquote, canceling yourself or or whatever. Like you, if you want to pay attention to a show, if you want people to pay attention to a show where you're literally reading index cards and listing off the names of people and what they've won. That is inherently the most boring shit in the world. So if you want to spice that up, that has to become the background of the show. You have to say, okay, if there were no awards, how would we make this entertainment? What is the what is the premise? What is the story arch? What is Who is the entertainment? How are we going to make this fit? And then we'll work the awards in there somehow. I've ranted way too much on a show that I haven't watched, which is the Emmys, but that's just, those are just my thoughts. You know, the last time, uh, the, the closing line of the article is the last time the Emmys exceeded 10 million viewers was 2018 when it reached an audience of 10.2 million. The Emmys had 21.8 million viewers in 2000, a level it will probably never reach again. I agree. If it stays on this track, if they stay, if they don't just tear up the entire formula of the Emmys, Grammys, Oscars, if they don't just light it on fire immediately, things will never get back to the level where it was an event. You sat down, sat down on the couch with your whole family. Sunday night, the Oscars are on. Let's fucking go. 
that time is not coming back because there's too much good content out there. There's too much. If the award show wants to compete with the shows that are winning the awards, it has to take a hint from that sort of content and say, okay, this isn't going to work anymore. This isn't going to work. And that's part of the excitement of podcasting is that there are so many options out there. There are 2 million plus podcasts, however many there are now. There's so many options, which is daunting. But it's also exciting because when you get more downloads, you get more viewers. It's people that have 2 million options that are choosing to spend even 5 minutes listening to a podcast. If someone if someone spends, you know, 5, 10, 15 minutes, maybe they tune into the episode, they listen to a little bit, they stop, they go to go to the next episode or maybe they don't come back. It's you're still taking up people's time. And to me that means a lot. To me, they've made the decision just like I make the decision to listen to the podcast I do, I'm saying this is worth my time. There's millions of other options, but I'm choosing you. That is why it's so meaningful. That's the world we live in right now. And if the Emmys were a podcast, if the Emmys were a show, no one would choose to tune into it. Almost nobody. The only reason it gets viewers is that it's it's on TV. You have the fucking people watching it in the background playing at airports whatever you know if the emmys was a show on netflix and you had to watch a season of it no one would fucking watch it speaking of content i watched the movie jennifer's body last night jennifer's body with megan fox and amanda siegfried and I I had heard some good things about the movie. I know that the movie has horrible ratings, which I looked up after. I didn't know that it was, you know, 40-50% on Rotten Tomatoes or whatever it was. But I'd heard good things about Jennifer's Body. I was looking for a movie to watch with my girlfriend, and we landed on it. And I... Didn't expect to watch the movie and like it as much as I did. I was watching the movie and I thought, okay, this is about a high school, a girl in high school that was assaulted as part of a ritual sacrifice and she's now a demon luring in guys, eating their guts for strength she's a gut-eating demon she's feeding on dudes that she lures in with her ass and titties and boy are those alive on megan fox but she's it's basically just like this demon movie and amanda siegfried is her friend and she catches on to what's happening and she tries to stop it and i'm watching this thinking this is so simple and it's, you know, it's kind of a chick flick, kind of not, but I I, I like it. And I'm not going to think about why I like it until after I watch because it's going to take away from the movie. But I had the night and some of the morning to think about it. And I landed on this. I'm going to compare Jennifer's body in some ways, to Promising Young Woman. The movie Promising Young Woman, where the lead of Promising Young Woman, she is avenging the rape of her friend who killed herself, and she essentially latches on to a group of guys and sneaks her way into a bachelor party as a nurse and causes some destruction. It's a, it's a it's a vengeance tale and promising young woman. Megan's uh not Megan's body, <laughs> Megan Fox's body, Jennifer's body. It's more of it's it's 
it's just things that happen and the story doesn't tell you how to feel morally as the audience member. It's more of just, even though very fucked up things happen to Jennifer, Megan Fox's character in the movie, we're never told as the audience that we're supposed to feel bad for her. Like she's literally tied down. She was stabbed dozens of times as part of a sacrifice. She ends up living. She becomes this demon she she's been through a lot of fucked up shit that she didn't ask for and yeah she's kind of a bitch in the movie but we're not told that yeah you should want the guys who did this to her to die you should feel bad for megan fox no it's like you're just watching a a demon rip through the guys in the town eat their guts become stronger there's some funny scenes uh some some funny dialogue in the movie but overall it's just like things that happen and the movie ends and you're free to draw your own conclusions it's a it's it's fun it's light i don't i didn't end the movie feeling judged by the director where the director's like i am working i'm molding the minds of the audience towards having this point of view i just don't like movies that do that promising young woman is on the opposite end of that spectrum where it is about a movie that has violence towards women for different reasons. Again, I'm not saying the plots are the same. They're not at all. There's no demons and promising young women. There is a murder. There is some sort of a vengeful aspect to promising young women. But throughout the movie, throughout promising young woman, I felt like I was being told by the director by the storyline that I had to feel a certain way about the main character and I had to feel a certain way about the guys in the movie like I was supposed to think that all guys are ultimately evil you know even Bo Burnham's character who plays a pediatric doctor who's a kind guy you know even he even the the innocent kind guy is deep down if you dig deep enough he's complicit in some sort of rape or sexual assault like these I felt I'm not saying this was the director's purpose but I felt like the message of the movie was almost too entwined in some sort of morality where I I felt like Promising Young Woman was almost trying to infect me or change the way, uh, change my morality, change my moral compass. And I'm all for works of creativity changing the way that I think. That's why I like books. That's why I love podcasts, movies. But when a movie has the air of, I'm not going to change the way you think just from A to B, but I'm going to change the way you think from low level to high level. Like you are here and this is like the higher level of morality that you should be thinking, that you should be acting like, like you are the problem and this is how you need to change. That's what I felt like Promising Young Woman was presenting me with. And maybe that was the director's intent. I don't know. Maybe they want you to feel like that but for whatever reason the the opposite of promising young woman i believe is why i liked jennifer's body so much because in both situations you had a woman who was wronged like in one situation promising young woman promising young woman the main character's friend was raped and kills herself in jennifer's body the main character was stabbed and killed and comes back as a demon But in Jennifer's body, I didn't feel like I was being told that Megan Fox is, you know, eating these guys' guts because this is like some sort of vengeance for her being wronged by men. It was just like, she's a demon, she's doing things, and however you want to take it, you can take it. You could take it as it's some sort of, um, you know, female empowerment. You can take it as she's just a demon, but it's... We're leaving it up to you. We're not going to define the moral message of the movie. In Promising Young Woman, I felt like it was more, you know, there's only one way to take this movie. We're not going to leave it up for interpretation. Like, is it the girl's fault? Is it the guy's fault? Like, is it society's fault? Like, I felt like it was just very clear 
in how we were supposed to take it. And again, I'm just, I'm speaking for me. I'm not speaking for everyone, of course. You could have a a totally different view on Promising Young Woman or Jennifer's Body. But I miss, I miss the days where, and and this kind of goes back to the Emmy discussion and like how there's so many different styles of, of entertainment now. But like I miss the days when Movies could just be movies and they were, you know, fun or dark or in between. Got some phlegm there. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I, I miss those days when movies didn't feel like they were judging you. And there are still great movies that come out. But now, time and time again, I feel like I watch movies or shows that almost... They have the feel of we're going to tell you how society is and who the problem is and how they have to fix it. And there's this air of we're better than you and we know the way. And I like when movies, you know, personally, they they don't, they, they change the way that you think, they change your perspective, but they don't do it from a moralistic standpoint. They present you with other ways of thinking and it's almost like here's an opportunity to think a different way. We're not forcing it. We're not shoving it down your throat. I feel like there's much more of shoving down the throat of you're a piece of shit. This is how you've acted in society. This is why you're the problem. And this is what needs to change. So that is that is just something that I thought about after finishing Jennifer's body after like why do I really why do I really like this movie it's it's simple there's it's a simple plot you know it's not amazing but I I felt myself sitting through it being like this almost feels nostalgic because Jennifer's body came out in 2009 like if Jennifer's body came out today it would be almost like a female empowerment vengeance flick where Jennifer's sacrifice and rape was almost tied into the me too movement somehow and she was she was eating guys guts as payback for the patriarchy but in the movie that came out in 2009 it's like no she's a fucking hot demon that attracts guys and feels them up and then eats their guts and she gets her strength back and then she goes on to the next one there's no sort of message behind jennifer punching back at society it's just a it's just a girl who had fucked up shit happen to her that is now in turn doing fucked up shit back to the world and you can take that however you want so i i like the choice i like the openness of directors and films to present you with ways to think without you know plunging it down your ethos and saying this is the view that you should have and this is the view that we need to move forward as as a society it's like no this is just what i think and this is the movie and this is what happens and now you're free to have your own interpretation maybe you agree disagree i feel like there's there's too much of a a forceful way of manipulative thinking where creatives are almost it's like there's there's a lot of creative works that try to get you to think a certain way in a way that seems forced it's like what are you trying to really say and just come out and say it don't do it in like this kind of backdoor way where you're just force feeding some moral message water sip okay i want to end off and by the way there will we'll we'll see what i'm able to to do when i get back from ireland i get back the 22nd so there may not be an episode next week on the ox i do have guest episodes that came out on the oxoro podcast that you can search for 
you know, while I'm gone, if you want something to listen to, I know there are millions of other podcasts out there, but if you wake up and you find yourself feeling, I need to hear that voice, I need to just, I need to have Zach's voice running through my head to make it through this, this day, you know, I just, I need that in my life right now, yeah, check out the Auxora podcast, um, other episodes of this podcast, again, I'll probably be back the week after that, possibly late next week or weekend, um, or also look up new podcasts, discover, you know, check out, I've been listening to Kill Tony, which is my favorite podcast right now, where people go up and they do stand up and Tony Hinchcliffe critiques them in hilarious ways. So check out Kill Tony. Highly recommend it. I want to end off this podcast by talking about a quote from Madeline Langell. That's Madeline L apostrophe E-N-G-E-L, who is an author. She wrote over 60 books, uh, very prolific, award-winning. And she has a quote about inspiration. And that quote is, inspiration usually comes during work rather than before it. Madeline Langell. Inspiration usually comes before work, or excuse me, inspiration usually comes during work rather than before it. Inspiration usually comes during work rather than before it. This is true for me today. I had a lot on my mind with work and preparing for the trip to Ireland, checklists, making sure I got enough clothes where I'm not going to, you know, freeze to death in the mountains, even though it's September and I'm probably overpacking. But I have all these things just running through my head. And I thought, you know, I'm not in a headspace to record a podcast right now. So I'm not going to do one today. I, I don't feel inspired. And about 10 minutes into this podcast, you know, it's hard for me to judge my own podcast. Maybe you think it's great. Maybe you think this was a shitty one. I don't know. That is up to you. But about 10 minutes into this podcast, I did feel a switch flip where I felt inspired to keep going. And I did not feel that 10 minutes prior to the start of recording. I only felt that once I started recording. And that is this quote to me is possibly the most important lesson that I've learned as a podcaster, as a creative, as a writer that you should not let the way that you feel, whether you feel uninspired or sad or excited, depressed, ticklish, whatever whatever you feel like before you start doing the thing you do, don't let your present mind state trick you into thinking that you're not going to be inspired at some point during the production process, whatever it is that you're creating. It's like a false flag that your brain plants in the ground and it says, this is how you feel today. This is how you feel right now. This is how you're always going to feel. So what you're about to do is not worth it. And every single time, every single time I start recording a podcast, every single time I start sitting down in the morning and writing and I don't feel like it. Some days I do. Some days it's so easy. I feel like I feel like recording. I feel like researching. I feel like, you know, preparing topics and questions for an episode. I feel like thinking, writing, whatever it is. It's easy. And then other days I wake up and it's not so easy. But I've never regretted a creative session. I've never started to create something and I've not felt some sort of spark five, ten minutes in. Once you sink into that flow state, once you start with the brush or you start with the pen, you start typing, you start recording, your voice warms up, you get going. It's it's like you have to get through this initial wall of a little bit of effort, a little bit of work before the work starts to compound on itself in the moment. It's like it's this in the moment compounding effect where you're not struggling for the words anymore. You're not struggling to, it's like waking up almost. You don't want to get out of bed. You, You eventually, you have to get out of bed every single day unless you're bedridden for some reason. But even mentally, you still, you you know, you're still, if you're, 
you have the mental capacity. Even if you're lying in bed all day, you're you're waking up, you're you're getting ready, you're you're thinking about things, you're getting out of that slumber state of of still dreaming, slightly delusional, you're in reality, you're not. Once you put your feet on the ground and you stand up, you get past that wall and you start to feel more awake and awake and awake. And then 30 minutes into your day, you don't even recognize that half dream, half reality state anymore because you're fully in reality. It doesn't feel like you're fighting to keep yourself in reality. But when you first wake up, you're fighting to get yourself out of bed. You're fighting to be in that reality. You're fighting to step out of the dream state into the wakefulness state. And I... I feel I felt this on more of a sharp plane recently, like a more of a sharp difference because I started using an app that gives you physical challenges in the morning to shut off the alarm. So for me now in order to shut off my alarm and it's really loud and really fucking annoying, which is great because my alarm used to be um, Sunset Lover by Petite, Petite Biscuit which is an amazing song, one of the best songs I've ever heard, but it's not a good song to wake up because it, you can listen to it over and over again just lying in bed feeling peaceful. I needed something to kick me out. So I downloaded downloaded this app called Alarmy, and that app prompts me to do 10 squats, 10 bodyweight squats to get out of bed every day. And only then, and it senses the phone going up and down. So in theory, you could cheat it by just moving your hands, but I don't. I keep it, keep it tucked into my sides. And every morning I wake up and I feel like, fuck, like these squats aren't going to do anything. My alarm's going to shut off and I'm going to feel like I'm going right back to bed. And then I do the 10th squat and around the 7th or 8th squat, I feel myself literally waking up. And by the time the alarm shuts off and it unlocks, I don't have this urge to go back into bed like I used to. I, I don't I don't have this urge to to turn off my alarm and then sit on the edge of my bed. And so just diving into the physical activity flips this switch in my brain. It just it, it's it's almost like diving off the deep end into reality from the dream state it's like it's 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 this more clearly defined waking up process which i love now and i dive straight in and once i'm in the water i stay there and it becomes easier to navigate the water the longer i'm there to me that's like the creative process where sometimes i don't feel like starting and my mind tries to trick me by saying, all right, I need to do all these little things before. I need to prepare. I need to clean. I need to get myself in the zone before I, before I start creating. Which is the biggest bullshit ever because it's just a distraction. You're not going to get in the creative zone before you start actually creating. And that is the fuel for so much of my procrastination. It's that I feel like I need to get myself into a state. It's like, no, just accept whatever state you're in, whether it's sad, happy, calm, depleted. Just accept it. Start your freedom timer, you know, whatever whatever you use to lock in for an hour, hour and a half, which is what I usually do to write. And you just start writing. You work with whatever state you have. You just dive in. You don't give yourself a chance to, to go back to bed. You know, going, trying to get into the zones, telling yourself you need to do all these, like, I need to warm up and I need to take deep breaths. And you, you may do some things. I do, you know, I kind of just take a couple deep breaths and lock in. I really do all my meditation stuff in the morning before I start, but right before I start writing, it's like, all right, set the timer for one hour, whether I write five words or 5,000, I'm going to put out what I have. I'm just going to dive into the deep end. And through that, just more sharp, clearly defined, I'm awake now, I'm creative now. That always shakes me into some sort of creative flow state. It doesn't start before 
it starts during. Inspiration usually comes during work rather than before it. So if you are flummoxed about creativity, if you're flummoxed, if you're feeling, uh, you know, confused or you're feeling uninspired, that is totally normal. It is totally normal to sit in front of a laptop, to sit in front of a piece of paper, you know, an easel, whatever it is, and feel like you're not creative, to feel like you don't have it in you today to make something good. And that is a trick. That is your mind playing tricks on you. That is the resistance, as Stephen Pressfield calls it. I promise once you jump in, it will start to change. It's not immediate. It takes, sometimes it takes me two minutes, sometimes it takes me 20, but you will reach a state where you don't feel like you're fighting to be creative. And that only happens with starting. You have to start to shake off the dream state. You have to start to shake off the uninspired state because it's not the first squat that makes me feel awake when I get up in the morning. It's like the fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth. And then there's nowhere else I want to be. I promise you, I can't promise it's going to be your best creative performance because what does that even mean? But I will promise that if you start, if you jump in, 10, 20 minutes into an hour, hour and a half session. At some point during that session, probably in the beginning, middle, you will not feel like you're battling the resistance anymore and you will feel like there's nowhere else you want to be right now. Like, of course I'm writing. Of course I'm podcasting. Of course I want to do this right now. I'm not I'm not forcing myself to sit down. I want to do this. I want, to, I want it to flow out of me. It's not perfect. Nothing is. And that's not the point. The point is I'm here right now doing the work, getting inspired by the work. So thank you guys for listening to this podcast. I am going to embark on a flight to to Ireland. That is not the Irish accent, so I don't know why I said it like that. But I'm going to embark to Dublin in a few hours. And I will report back probably on the next podcast when I record that, whenever that is about my experience. And hopefully I'll feel a bit more inspired from the journey. But even if I don't, I'm going to record it anyway. So I deal with all that shit all the time. And you know, I record multiple podcasts a week, um, try to do some writing every day. It's, it's, it's completely normal. It's completely normal to feel that way. So thank you for listening. I hope this episode can give you some small burst of inspiration or or joy for the week. Uh, I love you guys and I will talk to you next time.